hey, hey, what is going on, Q fam? Hope you're all doing well. This is your boy, Bez, and we're coming at you with a Cube and A session here. It's been a little while since we've done one of these. I began some really good questions, so I sat back, collected all of them, or at least a lot of them, and uh, got my answers down, and, and we're ready to roll here. So without uh, waiting any longer, let's just hop right into it here. One of the first questions I got was, um, I'm in the finance space. What additional things can be put on a resume to stand out? Um, does working on a business get frowned upon? This is actually a phenomenal question because when you work in the corporate life, you're you're torn here because you're not sure if putting that you're an entrepreneur, have entrepreneur-like uh, tendencies and traits is going to be seen as somebody who may eventually leave the firm to explore their own goals and their own initiatives and and whatnot. So I'm going to go ahead here and say from my experience that it's actually not frowned upon. It's actually looked really well upon. Um, as some of you may know, Cube is not my first company. Uh, actually, when I was in college, um, I, I actually own a patent and trademark in chewing gum products. Uh, go figure. It sounds crazy, but it's actually this neat little idea about a loyalty-based program. Uh, if anybody ever finds any kind of loyalty-based program that pertains to numbers on chewing gum and any confectionery products, well, you let me know because I have a lawsuit on my hands that I can uh, collect a nice fat royalty on. Uh, so I started that, and I still own the rights to that. And uh, a lot of people that I interview with, uh, I actually got those interviews because of that being on my resume. People started calling me, oh, you're the gum guy. I remember you from that from that career fair about three, four months ago. And, and, and it start, It was just such a good icebreaker. Not many people could say something like that. I, I know from my own experience representing JP at, uh, at career fairs, some of the people I still remember to this day uh, were the ones that did some extraordinary things that you'd never imagine or never would think of. And a lot of them were entrepreneur type stuff. But also, uh, one guy uh, climbed uh, like the first level, I don't know how it's set up, but the first level of Mount Everest, and I thought that was badass because that's pretty much telling me like this guy's, this guy's got what it takes, man. He sees a, he sees a, you know, an obstacle and he's ready to overcome it. Uh, so I would say that to the second part of that first question, does working on your own business get frowned upon? I would say it doesn't. I think it looks well. It tells your future employers that you are very hardworking, you're ambitious, you're a go-getter, and I think they like that. Uh, if you're worried that it might be in the same space as the company you may be looking to work for, it would be wise to, to maybe put a little disclaimer there that um, it is just a side passion of yours um, and and things of that nature. Some, some of them might ask you straight up, is this something that um, is going to take up a lot of your time? Is this something that's going to distract you from in, in the office? And you might have to make it clear that uh, that you know working for them comes first, uh, unless of course it doesn't. You know, in that case, uh, then yes, it's probably going to be frowned upon. Uh, but considering you are looking to go work on that, you know, for that employer, uh, I assume that they're going to come first, and that the other thing is going to be a side hustle after work. So uh, on top of that, other things you can put on your resume. Um, you know, I, I tell people, especially in, that subscribe to Cube, that they should put Cube on their resume. 
Um, and I would have no problem talking to employers. Uh, I already help you guys on your resumes. I would have no problem uh, being a, a point of contact because I speak with you guys every day. And joining something like this, it tells it should tell, at least uh, obviously they're probably not going to be too familiar with what I do, at least not yet, um, that you're you're really ambitious and always trying to learn. It, it really is a learning community. Um, other things that could work, man, book clubs and and, and all sorts of things. I, anything that is really uh, displaying and showing another side of you that would really raise some eyebrows should go on your resume. And I know this question was specifically asked for finance, but I think it could be also uh, applicable to uh, pretty much any other industry for that matter. Uh, people are looking for hustlers uh, in, in a world full of people who are just trying to, you know, uh, be lazy and, and just get what they can for as little work as possible. So definitely, um, definitely stack that resume up. Obviously don't, don't fluff it up with stupid stuff, but if it's exciting and it, and it shows your charisma, hell yeah, definitely do it. Uh, moving on. Next question is diversification necessary. All right. Well, you know where I stand on this. If you've been following me for even a little bit, diversification is a necessity. It is, it is. And if you're listening to this and saying it's not, um, I would like to ask you how your portfolio is doing and if it's doing great, uh, cheers, uh, but more so how are you sleeping at night? Because not having any diversification, uh, especially for long-term wealth bu- building is, uh, it, it's dangerous and it's a path that could get really dark really fast. Now let's talk about diversification a little bit here. I'm not, I didn't really get much more on this question, so it's kind of hard to say, uh, does this mean that you have to be at a total market fund and own small cap, mid cap, large cap, multiple regions, uh, five ten percent cash uh, allocation, five to ten percent emerging markets, five to ten percent um, real estate, <laughs> another two percent in crypto? Uh, you know, are, are we talking like this, uh, or are we saying that just owning uh, seven to ten stocks is enough? See. It really comes down to your risk appetite. You know, some of some of the craziest hedge funds, not even crazy, some of the best hedge funds only own eight to nine companies. Um, I don't, I don't consider that diversified. I think there's levels to it. You know, uh, personally, Cube, especially if you're a subscriber, you know this. I have anywhere from twenty to twenty-five names I own uh, at, at any given time, and not one stock, unless it blows up on its own and skyrockets, makes up more than ten to twelve percent. Never, 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 never. Can't do it. Cannot do it. I have my own, I have my rules that I follow. And this has saved me a lot. Of course, there are some names uh, that have taken off that I'm like, damn, I wish they made up more than 3%, or I wish they made up more than 4%. But I've all I've also I also can say that about many other names that I was hoping would do better or lag the market. And I'm I was like, oh, thank God that you know it wasn't a larger uh portion of my portfolio. It's just I know my demographic. I know who's asking these questions. Diversification is not something that's preached upon very much. Uh, a lot of it, what's talking about today is day trading, day trading, this, that, options, which I'll talk, I'll talk about in a, in, a, in a few more questions. And it, it's, it's very dangerous. And I also want to preface something else. It's very difficult for many of these younger investors today that are asking me these questions to diversify. I understand a lot of you all are investing with like $1,000 and, and you want to own Amazon. And it's a good thing that Robinhood now as well is starting to roll out the fractional shares, which is something I expected, by the way. I mentioned that in a few podcasts uh, ago. 
that's going to help you guys get that diversification. But I do understand the difficulty. I, I had it as a serious problem for myself when I was starting out many years ago. And to be honest, I didn't diversify my, when I started out. And I, I lost quite a, quite a bit of money, several thousands, in fact, starting out because I didn't know diversification. I didn't even know what the hell I was really doing at all. And it it, it, it cost me a lot. It cost me a lot. And um, I'm glad it wasn't more. And I'm glad I learned it young. And that's why I, I tell you guys to really keep that in mind that, you know, ha- have multiple securities of multiple business uh, areas, sectors, industries of different um, growth stages as well. Get some dividend names in there. When you start collecting a dividend, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's nice. It's nice to get that quarterly payout. It really feels good. That passive income is nice. Um, so it's it's difficult at first because you want to make as much money as you can, as early as you can. But give it a shot and you'll see that it's important to learn now, early on, especially as you grow your wealth. So you might think, oh, I only have a thousand bucks, I only have two thousand bucks. What's the point of diversifying? Well, come talk to me when you have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand and more. And then you'll see that you can't put a hundred grand on a stock. You know, it's you'll be much more hesitant, at least. I can say that for a fact. Um, but when you have a thousand bucks, like, ah, what is this money anyway? You know, it's it's a week's worth of pay or it's whatever. If I lose, it's not the biggest deal. And I understand where you guys are coming from, but it's good to learn those lessons young. So this way, when you do get older, diversification is not this brand new thing that uh, you're not accustomed to. Um, let's see what else we have here. Thoughts on Tesla, Virgin Galactic. Look here, guys, I don't own any of these two companies. I, I don't follow FOMO. I don't, I don't care for them at all. I have no remorse when I see them popping off. Absolutely none. I, I do not experience FOMO. Maybe it's come with experience, but um, I have a very specific and methodical approach to investing, and those companies do not fit my bill. Have I missed out on some gains? Sure have. And I'm rooting for Elon, and I'm rooting for all these these awesome companies that are trying to change the world. I'm rooting for them. But just because I see Tesla ripping does not mean I'm going to get in uh, just for the sake of getting in because it's ripping and everyone's talking about it. I, I don't get involved with that kind of stuff. Uh, and it, to be honest, like a lot of people actually get that fear of missing out, that FOMO. I personally do not feel it in the slightest bit. Um, I look at the core fundamentals. And, and, and t- to be honest, I make more money trading options with so much less risk and less volatility than uh, people make buying or shorting Tesla stock. And I won't touch Tesla options because they're far too expensive. Um, and uh, the Greeks, which is something maybe I can talk about in another podcast. It's, I don't have enough time here to do that. Uh, that'll take way too long. Uh, they just, they're all, it, it's just a wild game. It's, it's truly gambling. And I'm not in this game. I'm not in this to gamble. So as far as Virgin Galactic goes, as far as Tesla goes, I am rooting for these companies as a entrepreneur. I am not putting my money with them, though, until I see better fundamentals. And if I have to pay more then, then so be it. But uh, that, that's just where I stand uh, on those things. And, and, and just a little tidbit on, on Virgin Galactic. Another reason why I, don't, I wouldn't touch Virgin Galactic is because the founder himself, Richard Branson, is, is no longer on the board and he's no longer an executive. He's just a normal investor now. And it kind of takes away a lot of the oomph. I mean, imagine imagine Elon stepped away and just became a normal investor. 
So that was a big turnoff for me too with Virgin. It, I really was hoping Branson was going to stay there and, and lead the ship and be the face of the company, but he kind of took a back seat, it seems. And, uh, and the VC guys kind of got involved now. So let's see what else we have here. Um, number four, this is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, options, options seem to be the talk right now over trading stocks and Forex. What do you make of this? Um, it, it seems that way. It seems that way, at least on my Instagram advertisements uh, that I get plummeted with. Um, I would say yes, and there's a reason behind it. I, you don't really need big moves in options, uh, in the stock to make good money in options. And, um, the, the problem here is that it does take time to learn. There are a lot of little nuances about options and the, the time decay and, you know, the deltas and the gammas and the thetas and the rho and all this stuff. There's a lot of the Greeks you need to learn. And I'm, I'm teaching the subscribers every day about these things because it's, it's something you really need to think about. Just because you think a stock's going to move a certain direction doesn't mean that uh, the option might make sense because now you have to take into account uh, the expiration date. You have to take into account different uh, things like implied volatility. You have to look at uh, when earnings dates are because that's going to most likely increase the implied volatility, therefore causing the option to be more expensive. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, the technical analysis that's involved has to be so much more spot on because there's a lot less room for error. Uh, you know, when, when a stock can move, um, just a few cents, it can it can make the options move 5-6%, depending on what kind of stock we're talking about here, if not more. So options are in right now, and I believe they have a reason to be. I think a lot of people are playing them wrong uh, and, and using them the wrong way. I, I am very, very analytical when it comes to uh, options. In fact, I was just talking today to a few of the subscribers as we were eyeing up some plays, and it was getting kind of frustrating because I was, I, I wanted specific price entries for specific options. Uh, they didn't hit, and they wound up running without me. And it's going to happen sometimes, but I, I do not chase. I wait for the pitch. I make sure everything lines up right, and, I, and if I can get my price, I'll get my price. It's annoying, but especially even on my end, it's annoying. Um, I know the subscribers appreciate it, but that's why I'm high probability. I'm high success rate. Uh just off this year alone, six for six, hoping to be seven for seven with today's play. We'll see how it pans out this coming week, um, tomorrow and next week. We'll see how it pans out. Hopefully, I can keep staying undefeated this year. And I believe I am 16 for 19 or 16 for 20 since Q4 started. I have to go back and see what the uh, the record is uh, before that. But uh, the reason is, well, first off, I usually do like one a week. Uh, if you play too many, it gets very hard to keep track of everything. Um, so I have a very specific structure as to how I like to invest in companies and how I like to trade options. And I don't stray from it. I'm very disciplined in this approach, and I want you all to be as well. Number five, do you expect 2020 to be as fruitful of a year as 2019? I think uh, most people agree with this. I don't. I think it'll be a good year. I I just issued the 2020 outlook to subscribers um, a few weeks ago. I think it's going to be a good year. I, I think that as time progresses, the pendulum is going to swing a little bit more in favor each each year that comes from now on uh, towards active investing a little more. I think it's now time for hedge funds to shine um, and active management. And if they don't, if they don't, it's going to spell even more trouble and more money is going to pour into passive ETFs, which has been 
absolutely insane how much has been. Um, but it's now time. It from now on, in my opinion, it's now time for the active managers to start start showing people and start showing their clients who have been with them for decades why their money is there and why they're paying those fees. They have to start outperforming. And I think going forward now in this stage of this bull market, the pendulum's going to swing a little bit more in their favor. They have to capitalize because if the if the S and P only returns uh, like six to seven percent this year. And they come in five six percent, you you know look when when the S and P is running and ripping, it's tough to outperform it, right? But when when it's like having a, a mediocre or semi average year, uh, in comparison to the bull market we've been on, uh, they have to come through with, with a ten percent or eleven percent gain over that six seven percent benchmark. They have to. Um, that's how I feel about that though. So I don't to your to answer your question, I think twenty twenty is going to be a good year, but I. I believe I, I'm on with the majority here that says it's not going to be another 30% gain like 2019 was. Um, do you favor technical analysis or fundamental analysis? I believe I might have answered this in the past, but sometimes it gets lost in all this stuff. Uh, I, I favor both. I am at heart a fundamental um, investor. Uh, 97% of the portfolio stays in, in, in long-term holds. And then I like to have fun with the... Um, with the short-term volatility with options that I use technical analysis on a lot. Even when I'm eyeing up a, a long-term hold and all the fundamentals check off, I like where the price to earnings is, I like where the, the price of sales are, I like where the growth is at, I like the, what the balance sheet looks like and all this stuff. Even then, now, before I even get into the entry, I try to use technical analysis to try, try and time the best possible entry price I can. And then I'll usually couple that with uh, dollar cost averaging over a period of time. Um, next question. I'm in high school. Is it too soon to start investing? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Um, if you're 18, then yeah, you can have your own account. And, um, I think getting, getting into the markets is, is fine in high school. I, especially now with the, with the amount of information you have access to and the low cost fees of, of the brokerage business today, I think it's completely okay for for a high school student to get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and it's okay if you don't have a lot of money. You know, you just start putting whatever you have a little bit away, a little bit, a little bit. Um, especially if you're not paying money on trades today. Like when I was in high school, <laughs> it was well like over fourteen dollars a trade or something like that back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. It was I, I actually actually would love to go back and look. Um when I was in college it was ten dollars a trade. And then by the time I graduated, I think I think at the time I had Scott a Scott trade account. Um it went to six ninety nine a trade, and obviously now we're seeing across the board it's starting to fall to zero. But uh, no, for sure, if you're in high school, I think uh, it's a great time to get started, and I I, I also encourage you to invest in yourself and le- and learning beforehand. Uh, don't just borrow money from dad or mom or or work all those hours at you know at wherever you work and make a minimum wage at hard earned money. Don't just go ahead and drop it on options and, and, and blow all of your savings. You know, I want you guys to keep that in mind too. Uh, do it do it right. And, and you're going to make some mistakes, especially in high school, you're going to make some mistakes. But at least uh, keep the stakes low so it doesn't cost you that much if you do get burned. And if you have any questions, of course, reach out to me and, you know, we can help you out. Um, eight, I'm down a ton on marijuana stocks. Do you think I should sell or keep holding? Ooh, good question. Good question. So, 
if you're willing to play this out for the next three to five years, then I would consider just averaging down, to be honest. But I, I, I favor the ETFs more now than ever because we're starting to really see what these companies are made of. The balance sheets are deteriorating. The executives are getting shadier. The market is getting more competitive. The future is getting even more obscure. You have regulation. You have legalities. You have companies literally growing their marijuana in rooms that aren't licensed. It's tons of managerial switches and swaps and CEOs selling their shares right at the bottom right now or... Maybe they don't think it's the bottom if they're selling. Tilray's CEO just sold $1.6 million worth of shares at 16. That's wild. I think it's I think this has to be looked at with like a three to five year horizon. If you're in it for a trade, the charts look like hell. Um, knock yourself out. Uh, but right now, I think a lot of these individual names are getting very, very risky. I would not allocate too much of the portfolio to it. And it's unfortunate because I know a lot of people, especially Cube followers that uh, that hit me up on Instagram, uh, a majority of their portfolio is in marijuana stocks. They got they got reeled into the hype, and they also, and I feel for them, but they they also thought that the industry was going to uh, materialize a lot quicker, and unfortunately that hasn't been the case. So, um, if you have the gut and you have the risk appetite and it doesn't make up too much of your portfolio, and you are willing to wait it out, then I would slowly just keep adding as if it's an S&P 500 uh, fund. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, because you're not going to time the bottom, and you're not going to time the top. And if you're going to be a long-term investor like I am with many of my companies that I'm invested in, I'm not worrying about today's price. I'm not worrying about tomorrow's price. I'm not worrying about next week or next month's price. My job is to ensure and understand where the industry is heading. And if I still feel good about it, then I'm going to keep adding over this extended period of time. You know, I really want you guys to look at yourselves as investors. It's like, think of yourself as Buffett. Think of yourself as him. Look at the investment. Try and envision where you see the whole map laying out. What do you think about U.S. regulations and, and, and where we stand with legalization? What do you think about Canada 2.0? What do you think about certain companies? Like, it, it's very risky right now to play a certain company. It is. Um, and if you're not sure uh, which company is going to win, because I do expect consolidation if you ask me, uh, just like any other industry. Because a lot of these companies are just they're just too weak standing alone. They're too weak. Um, then you're probably better off just owning the whole basket. Probably better off owning the whole basket. So um to your to your question, selling down here would be tough, it'd be rough. Uh if you wanna maybe take some tax losses, you know, tax loss advantages and come back in 30 days to avoid the wash sale, you could do that. If you don't think it's gonna move in the next 30 days. You know, my question to you would be, what are the short-term catalysts right now? Do you have any other plans to use that money for something else? Just some, just some pointers, some things to think about. 
And um, the last one, number question number nine I got. I, I work in finance. What trends are you seeing right now in the space uh, based on your experience? Okay. Personally, what I'm seeing now is I've talked to a lot of my old JP guys, a lot of my old Bank of America guys, and uh, and some colleagues that uh, I, I know from, from Rutgers and other friends and networks. I like to talk to a lot of people, keep in touch. And it looks like JP specifically, I can't really comment on too many other guys. The New York City offices are completely moving everybody out. If you're not client facing, you're out of New York. And now they're, they, they, it, it's been a slow phase. It was from Manhattan. Then they moved them to Brooklyn or they moved them to Jersey City. And now they're taking it a step further and sending them to Texas, sending them down to Florida, or even going as far as sending them out to India, outsourcing. For 20 cents on the dollar. So those are a lot of the back office jobs. And then I would go as far as to say that's just one step right there. While these companies begin to adopt blockchain, I do believe a lot of these back office roles are going to get automated. And I think that these banks are going to lean out. And I believe that the lower interest rate environment that we currently live in is going to be the norm for the foreseeable future. And those compressed net income margins are going to force banks to really look at how they can skim off more from the middle, some skim off some fat to send more to the bottom line because maybe revenue growth is going to be kind of difficult uh, for the next maybe three to five years. Especially if GDP slows down, company they're already working on the on the technologies. It's just about implementing them and putting them out at scale. Uh, I really don't, my personal opinion, you're asking for my on my background and what I think. Um, also, if Trump gets reelected in November, and I believe he will be, uh, now you have to think about uh, less regulation and what that means for also those back office jobs that work in things like CCAR and, um, and other uh, regulatory uh, roles, especially if he keeps pulling back the regular, you know, all the all the yellow tape. Or red tape, or whatever tape you want to call it. So, to be honest with you, I actually don't like the outlook of these big, uh, these big bulge bracket banks. Uh, they they do run heavy. They they run kind of fat. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, when I look at the back office specifically, it's going to um, it's going to lean out, in my opinion. That's that's my honest opinion. Uh, to to outsourcing where it's cheaper labor, and then eventually just to technology itself, and a blend of both until it's fully ready to implement. And then on the front end, I do think that um, there's a possibility in which they hire more on the on 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 the front end, the client facing side, the front office, just because now you know we're really seeing a lot of turnover in that space. I know there's a plethora of applicants. Um, but uh, as I look at the industry and I look at just, just work in general, people are really, really butting heads with these hundred hour work weeks and people are really starting to fight it a lot harder than they used to. And maybe, you know, cause what's essentially what's happening is, and I, and I wonder if the banks are noticing this, the turnover is probably higher than ever. If I had to guess based on my experience, I, I'd love to pull up some data. I'm not sure I can find out specifically but 
you know, the way the front office guys get worked, you kind of are out of gas after two years and they just go somewhere else. Some of them can just completely leave the industry. So um, perhaps there's going to be some more hiring in the front office. Um, I know as I speak to a lot of the Cube uh, subscribers, uh, a lot of them are in the investment banking space and the private wealth management space. And they are actually asking others, oh, guys, you know, we have some openings or, oh, guys, just got another interview for another, you know, client facing role at another firm. And it seems to be some good growth in that area and in that's, in you know, in that space. But I am not really noticing the same too much uh, on the back office. And based on people who I know that are that have been there, uh, they are they are leaning out and they're moving them out. And I think that's where this trend is going to continue going. I don't think J.P. Morgan needs to run uh, a firm with 265,000 employees. Just, uh, I personally don't see it. And it sucks. It sucks, but they, they have to do what's best for their shareholders. And and that's probably what they're going to wind up doing, if you ask me. that That's my two cents. I'd love to have a discussion on this. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. And um, yeah, those are the questions I have for today, guys, in today's Q&A. I hope you enjoyed them. If you have any more questions, feel free to shoot them over, and I can always do another episode. I actually really, really love this. It's one of my favorite segments, to be honest. So guys, we're hitting the 30-minute mark here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you found pretty much found a lot of value in it. I really hope you guys did. So thank you all, and we will talk soon.